Guten Tag, Willkommen to the Neil World Order Podcast. A little shout out for our German listeners. Uh, how's everybody doing on this night before Easter? Uh, another chilly day here in Wisconsin. I don't know if spring's just like messing with us here or just deciding it doesn't want to come. Uh, shout out to my mom. Today is my mother's birthday. So happy birthday, mom. I talked to my mother today. You should all call your mothers once a week. It's probably good for them. Uh, NBA playoffs started this weekend. Actually, I think they started the other night. Uh, the Bucks here don't play till tomorrow at 5. They play the Bulls. So that should be an interesting series. I know there's been a lot of close games between the two this season. Uh, I mean, it'd be cool to see the Bucks repeat. I'm pretty much open to anything. It's great that LeBron has no chance to win this year as the Lakers did not make the playoffs. So it also makes the NBA playoffs a little more watchable. Anytime I don't have to see LeBron James play, it's a great thing. I'm not sure if I mentioned this on here, and this is where I stink at remembering things I talk about. Um, I, I bought a new car finally. Um, I got a Hyundai Santa Cruz. Uh, those of you who know me saw the pictures on my uh, Facebook page. Um, she's pretty sweet. Uh, it's exactly what I wanted. Uh, they're actually, like most new cars, are pretty hard to come by. Uh, you know, like everything is, like I was saying. Uh, and it's crazy, too, because when I, you know, it all started, I think I was in, I was in another town one night, and we drove by a lot. I was like, whoa, that looked like an old school, like, Subaru Brat, or, you know, like a newer version of, like, a cool El Camino. And I didn't think anything of it, and I looked it up and saw what it was. I was like, oh, that's kind of cool. And then I was like, wow, those aren't stupid expensive. Uh, and started looking. I was like, oh, they make this color and that color. And I look into it. So then, about the time I got my ducks in a row and talked my wife into the fact that, hey, I need this. Um, she was, you know, you know, I started calling the dealers and bam, didn't have any. You know, and they were like, oh, you can order them and this and that. And I went through the process of looking at ordering and um, honestly had gotten to the point um, where about the time we went on vacation, um, my wife had gotten a new car as well. And uh, I had just been like, okay, th this is a headache. It's not working. It falls through. Everything's either way more than I want to pay or it has nothing I want. And I, and I just, you know, I, and I didn't need it. Like, I liked my car, my previous car. Um, it was good to me. Uh, you know, I'd had it, I don't know, three years maybe pushing four years. Uh, I, I loved everything about it. it. had everything I wanted except heated seats, and really that's not a big deal to me. Uh, so a guy I'd been talking, it was the first uh, guy I was dealing with when I started looking, I don't know, six, seven months ago, uh, Boucher, Hyundai, and Janesville. The guy's name is Steph. Awesome guy. Uh, hooked me up. I got a great deal, great price. Um, everything I wanted, you know, the whole process couldn't have been easier. Uh, and in all honesty, um, it would, so if you're in this area and you're looking for a car, uh, I highly, I hate car shopping. I don't like dealing with car dealers, but the guys over at, uh, Boucher, Hyundai and Janesville were amazing. I even got a free grill out of it. I think the options were, uh, it was a hundred dollar gas card. I know, right? Take the gas card. Um, a coach purse, which 
I had just gotten my wife a coach purse for Christmas um, or the grill. And I was like, ah, screw it. I'll take the grill. I, first things first, I asked her if she wanted the purse and she said no. But, um, so we went and got the, uh, so I got the grill, which is still sitting in a box in my garage. And I can't decide if I'm going to sell it or if I'm going to use that one and then sell my old one. It's going to get warm before I decide to do any of it, right? Um, so, I've ever talked about this when uh, when I was first coming up with ideas for the show, and I was thinking about intro songs, uh, which was almost two years ago. We're almost coming up on two years of the podcast, which which is crazy to think there's more people listening every week um, and globally, which I I will never understand. Maybe it's troops, maybe it's people using proxies, whatever, it shows up as people listening all around the world, and, I, and I'm blown away with it, and I'm thankful for every listen, but um, I narrowed it down to like a handful of songs that I thought I would use for the intro, um, obviously Cult of Personality was one, um, which is the one I ended up choosing with, I know we switched to the Tom McDonald for a little bit, um, a lot of people didn't like that, so we went back to Cult of Personality. And, you know, at one point I thought I would have a different song each each episode, uh, you know, to kind of go with the artist I was talking about. And I was like, you know, sometimes it just, you just need that song. And it'd come down to Cult of Personality, like I was saying, and uh, Seven Nation Army by the White Stripes. Um, I love Seven Nation Army. Um, I, I honestly feel it gets used in a lot of things, which is kind of why I believe I passed on it. Uh, most recently it was used for Pat McAfee's entrance music at uh, WrestleMania. And if you haven't seen Pat McAfee wrestle at this past WrestleMania, the guy stole the show. Uh, he was amazing. Uh, you know, and I'm sure a lot of you listen to the Pat McAfee show. I don't know if he, if it's like a pot. It's kind of like, it, I, I've watched it on YouTube a handful of times when Aaron Rodgers is on there. It might show on ESPN News or whatever, but it, he's just, he, I, there's just something about, I, I love the Pat McAfee show, but anyway, so I was thinking this week, and I was like, you know what, why not talk about the White Stripes, you know, and uh, I was talking about this to my wife and my daughter the other day, and I was like, you know, I wonder if when uh, Jack White wrote Seven Nation Army, if he knew that, like, this simple song you know, with just a little riff or whatever, would be like this huge global eternal hit that it is. I mean, you hear you hear the song everywhere, right? Uh, you know, you hear it at sporting events, especially like soccer and basketball. Uh, it's just a great jam. Like I, I believe they played at the Bucks games all the time. You know, anywhere you know, you just hear the do 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 whatever. But um, anyways, the White Stripes uh, hail from Detroit, uh, the Motor City where I was actually born. Um, they were formed in 1997, consisting of Jack White, Jack White and his wife at the time, Meg White. He actually took her last name. I don't know if a lot of people know that. Uh, I believe his name was Jack Gillis. Um, the duo, had, they had a ton of success locally in Detroit, playing like club acts and uh, just local clubs in the Detroit area for years, uh, before they finally burst into the mainstream, I think around 2002. Their first release, uh, The White Stripes, it was hailed critically uh, and catapulted the band into stardom, per se. Uh, however, 
you know, I, I was blown away by this this fact. Over the course of their existence and six studio released albums, they've only sold 12 million albums. Uh, you know, partly due to the digital age and downloads and streaming, they kind of hit when all of that was becoming the way music was shared and purchased. Um, you know, at one point in an article, Rolling Stone had called the White Stripes the saviors of rock and, rock and roll and equated them uh, to being like a more refined Sex Pistols, which the Sex Pistols are great if you've never listened to the Sex Pistols. Uh, they kind of have this indie garage sound, um, you know, and they kind of came at a time when music was being overproduced, you know, and they had their own unique sound, kind of blurring the lines between alternative, punk, and rock, you know, all the while where they were writing non-conventional, catchy songs. Um, Jack and Meg White uh, would eventually divorce in 2000, which, you know, was really before they even made it big, which led many people to believe that they were never even going to continue as a band. But they would continue to make albums until their last release, Icky Thump, in 2007. Uh, they, they peaked as far as sales and chart topping with Elephant, the release of Elephant 2003, Three and the single Seven Nation Army, which, interesting enough, the title Seven Nation Army comes from Jack White's mispronouncing of the Salvation Army as a child. That's a fact. Uh, the song hit number one on the Billboard rock charts, and it's considered one of the all-time great rock and roll songs of all time. Uh, in an interview with Rolling Stone, Jack White had said that the song was his idea of a 007 James Bond theme song for a movie if he was ever given the opportunity to pen a title track for a Bond film. And he said the song is ultimately about gossip. It's about leaving town to escape rumors and people talking behind your back and stabbing you in the back, only to ultimately return because you miss home. He explained that the song revolved around all the tabloidism and about his and Meg's personal lives after, their spl after they split and all the different articles that were written and things that would go around town about he said, she said, yada yada either way it makes it makes for a great song so do yourself a favor check out the white stripes if by some chance you never have which i have a really hard time believing uh but maybe i don't know some people you know live in their bubble and this is the music they listen to and you know there's i would say up until i don't know over the course of the last handful of years there's been so much more music i there's just tons of music out there you know and it's great to discover things I used to joke that um, TV shows were like one of the best places to discover new music often when they would do the little montages at the end. I always think of like uh, the WB back in the day, like the Dawson's Creek and uh, all those shows. And at the end, they'd be like, music on tonight's episode was by featured by, and they would list the bands, you know, and you'd be like, oh, that's a cool band. I'm going to go download it. I'm going to look into this. You know, I'm going to listen to more of that. Uh, when we all had, like, Napster right at our fingertips and stuff. Um, and then it was LimeWire, but then it was, like, you know, giving your computer AIDS anytime you did that. Now we all just pay $14.99 a month and use uh, Apple Music or whatever that costs. But, um, yeah, so that was always where I find a cool song. You know, you hear it in a movie trailer, in an episode, you know, and then you can either, like, Shazam it or just put song featured in blah, 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 blah. And you're like, holy cow. But I think of, you know, originally that was the first place I heard 
Andrew McMahon's music with Jack's Mannequin was an episode of One Tree Hill. Um, you know, and then Kai got me more and more into them. And, you know, every, I, there's probably, I can't tell you the last day I didn't hear an Andrew McMahon song. You know, it's kind of like Bob Seger. It's just one of those things I hear. And then they're two complete, you know, different ends of the spectrum of rock and roll. But I, I love them both. So, last week's episode, which I hope you've listened to. If you haven't, this may not make any sense to you, but you can go back and listen to it because you're all super fans like Luke. Um, I talked about the tragic death of Joshua Bohannon uh, back home where I come from. Well, I actually heard back from his brother uh, who texted me and said he would really much enjoy doing the podcast episode. So there's going to be a follow-up episode at some point um, where I'm going to give him the chance to tell Josh's story and kind of, you know, I guess the perspective of the family and how this event and tragedy has affected them and how things, you know, what their plans are going forward. And I guess more or less like the story they want out there for everyone to hear, because I think that's important. Um, I mean, obviously, I'm not the Today Show or anything like that, but, you know, this being close to home and, like I said, everything I researched and being like, wow, I feel like these people weren't really given an opportunity to uh, tell their story and that I feel like a lot of stones were left unturned in the uh, investigation. And it's still ongoing, so maybe there will be uh, more more to come to. Um, you know, it's it's a cool opportunity and a privilege for me as far as presenting, you know, the story to people who've gone through such a tragic event, and as well as exploring the true crime aspect of the show. Um, so I will keep you guys posted on all that and let you know um, what's going to happen. Obviously, it'll be a more professional, refined show, just because the message I feel is more important and it needs to be done right. So. Um, you know, it won't be your typical Neil World Order podcast where we just kind of banter and I drink whiskey and yada yada. Which, uh, strawberry lemonade whiskey tonight, I'm I'm almost out of everything. I go through this stuff pretty quick. I don't know. I think there's a hole in the bottle. Wasn't that a Kelsey Ballerini song? So, Elon Musk uh, making a lot of news this last week. I mean, the guy's always making news, but uh, where do we start? You know, he's the guy who may save free speech. He's public enemy number one of the left at the moment, which I guess makes him a hero to true Americans. Um, you know, the, the thing he got all of us maybe looking at and asking ourselves, those of us who aren't already, is, is do you ever wonder why liberals hate free speech so much, though? Like, I don't get it. I mean, they coined the term hate speech, which to me is one of literally the dumbest things I've ever heard. I've long been an advocate, and anyone who listens to this show knows uh, I'm a huge advocate of say whatever you want. It's not your fault if someone else is offended or bothered by the words that your mouth that come out of your mouth, or if 10,000 people are offended. I mean, I'm sure if I had a bigger platform, there'd be a cancel Neil movement out there, but, uh, you know, that'll, that'll happen when I go mainstream and they dig up all these episodes from the past and they're like, oh my God, he said that. I'll be like, yeah, fuck yeah, I did. I said this too. And tell them something even worse because 
that's the type of guy I am. They worry that uh, by him purchasing controlling shares of Twitter, that he will allow Twitter, if he, he offered to buy the whole thing, uh, to become a wild, wild west of misinformation and hate speech, they say. You know, and this is the same Twitter that allows porn, Al-Qaeda, the Taliban, as well as Vladimir Putin to have accounts. All the while, while banning President Trump permanently, um, other prominent conservative figures have been banned. Um, you know, and, and like anything that hides behind this mask of misinformation and hate speech, it's, it's never about protecting people from words. Because technically words can't hurt anyone. I could say all the most terrible things to you in the world. The words don't hurt you. It's how you feel, how you perceive things that you bring the pain on yourself. It's a fact. It, it, you know, you, you may not want to believe that, but I could call you stupid all day long. It's only going to hurt you if you actually realize, hey, I am stupid and the truth hurts. And, you know, we go from there. But... You know, I'm a firm believer in the truth sets people free, and, well, to some people, we can't have that, you know? The left has a narrative to protect, you know? And so social media is a huge part in playing out the propaganda that the left wants to sell you and I. So, yeah, Musk, I believe he offered $43 billion in cash for Twitter. Uh, like I said, he was already the largest shareholder, but he wants to buy the company, and he wants to take it private. And the libs are shitting in their pants. This was after he talked about turning their headquarters into a homeless shelter, which, bravo. Uh, since I wrote this, though, the board of directors at Twitter's has invoked what's called a poison pill initiative. And then this shows, okay, this really paints the picture on how liberals hate free speech. So with the poison pill, what you ultimately do is they kind of tank their own stock. So they cost their own shareholders money. And they devalue their own company, which the whole thing should be illegal, but it's loopholes, you know, to but that other libs put in place so libs can do shit like this. Um, and they're going to cost their shareholders tons of money. Uh, Musk could essentially dump his ownership of the company, like sell off his stocks all at once, and it would crash it. So the, there's no good way. Twitter comes out of here looking bad regardless. And I think that was kind of Musk's thing is like, watch this. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show you what happens when you start to... Uh, they pretty much walked right into his trap. I think he wanted to mess with them. I think he wanted to mess with the SEC. I think it was just a culmination of, you know what? You guys are assholes. You fuck with people. I'm going to really fuck around with you. And hit you in the walls. Because what ultimately happened, they're going to do this poison pill thing. Controlling shareholders are going to cream these dudes on the board. They're all going to get fired. Or they're going to sue the board. And it's going to be litigate. It's just, I mean, I guess no publicity is bad publicity. But they're going to be embarrassed. So anyone maybe that took pride in being a part of Twitter ownership or shareholder, they're going to be embarrassed. And that's never a good look when you have to answer to people. But it just shows that Elon Musk is fucking brilliant. You know, and you got to think that this move by Musk has all the tech companies and maybe even a lot of the media conglomerates on edge and asking themselves and their people like, okay, how do we pre prevent this from happening to us? 
what's to stop him from walking in and being a controlling partner of NBC Universal? You know, they're not going to re-examine how they operate or censor people. They will instead look for ways to not lose their grip on being purveyors of leftist nonsense because that's what's most important. It's not about truth. You know, it's not about integrity, delivering honest messages to the general public and consensus. It's about selling a narrative that the people they ultimately are in bed with want them to sell. That, that's literally all it is. Um, you know, and I think the fallout from this will change the landscape of social media, in my opinion. You know, maybe there'll be no more bannings, no more Facebook jails, no silence in the opinions that disagree with the narrative. You know, and then there's also the chance that Musk could um, form his own platform, you know. And I think in time, you'll see a lot of these leftist media platforms and tech companies start to fall off. It will happen. I mean, everyone thought MySpace was the coolest, greatest thing ever. And then Facebook came along, you know. And even Facebook has taken a serious hit uh, over the year. And I know, you know, a lot of the kids like Instagram or you know, they go to Twitter, whatever it is, Discord, whatever they use. But, you know, like my 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 daughter, Facebook's like stupid to her. You know, and she's right in their demographic. So, you know, for each kid like that, there's probably a 100,000 to a million that are the same way that are just like, yeah, this platform's for old people. That's how they stay in touch and tell each other happy birthday and show them pictures of their dogs and cats. And I think just like leftist ideology is wearing thin on a majority of the American people, so is the way the uh, social media companies and the tech companies operate. It's almost like there's this awakening happening, which, as great as it is, it's sad. Because it took way too much to wake people up. Like, the there were, it should have been way sooner than it is and you know that's why I think I'm less forgiving giving to the people who are like oh I can't believe Joe Biden did this fuck that I'll never vote Democrat well I'm still fuck you like you don't get a pass just because you're going to vote for the next Republican like you were still an idiot you're just now an idiot that wants to be you know you're a front runner you want to jump ship you know and I'm not, I'm not cool with that but, you know, like I said, people should be able to express any of their opinions freely on any platform without having to be banned, censored, or having bogus fact-checker attachments on their posts. You know, and there really are no fact-checkers. That's actually a fact. Uh, Mark Zuckerberg admitted that under oath before Congress that the fact-checkers were indeed just opinion-checkers that Facebook uses. And if you've noticed, they've since backed off using that as much. It used to seem like my newsfeed was full of those based, you know, on different posts people posted, even shit I posted. Um, you know, after, I think, the embarrassing fallout from the Senate hearings on that. But, like I said, I'm super, super interested to see how all this plays out. Um, you know, I have a feeling we could all benefit from what Musk is trying to do. And, you know, in a lot of ways, it would be great if social... Social media is terrible. Like, we all use it. We're all glued to it. Uh, you know, there's people out there that aren't. I have, you know, friends that have just gone off of it and whatever. And I'll tell you what, I honestly... 
the, the almost back-to-back 30-day bans I had helped me out a lot to where I don't pay as much attention to Facebook anymore. I really don't. It, it's garbage. Um, you know, I like to keep in touch with my friends. Um, you know, I like to post things and read things sports-related. But, you know, I, I'm not one of those people that ha- I don't have a lot of friends with different opinions anymore because I realize it's just stupid and it's headaches, and that's the shit that gets me in trouble. Anyways, you know, my wife always says, you're never going to change their mind. They're never going to change yours. There's no point. She doesn't really talk like that, and that's going to be the first thing she says when she hears this. But, uh, you know, it's just that mindset. But sometimes you just, like, hear people, and you're like, that's so fucking stupid. And I'm like, you can't be that dumb. You know, and that's usually what comes out of my mouth. But people are that dumb. What are you going to do, though? I mean... Stupid is as stupid does. Um, so, totally changing gears and just trying to not go on crazy political rants this episode. Uh, as a lot of you know, uh, and I talk about it from time to time, um, I've talked about like how I do door dashing and Instacart for extra money. Um, not because I need it, uh, because the money is there and why wouldn't I take it? Um, you know, it started... Towards the end of last summer, I think I started door dashing, and it was ultimately one of those things where I kept seeing the little ads where it was like, make $20 an hour, blah, 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 $20, and I was like, bullshit. So I, I more or less started it just to say, bullshit, this is a scam. And then after a couple nights, I was like, oh, damn, okay. And I don't do it a lot. Like, uh, anymore, I just dash on Friday nights, um, just with, especially with gas prices and stuff, but... Um, you know, and for those of you that are unfamiliar how DoorDash or Instacart work or Uber Eats or was it Grubhub, and there, there's a bunch of them. I only do DoorDash and Instacart. Um, so after you go through, like, this, you go through a back background process and all that. It honestly doesn't. I literally signed up for DoorDash in the process of taking a dump one day at work. Um, you log on. You pick however long you want to work. And even if I say, I, I turn it on right now, and I say, I want to work till 3 a.m., I can turn it off five minutes from now. Like, it's not like I'm locked in or whatever. Um, you're kind of your own boss. Um, you know, but so you're logged in, you'll be offered an order, and you get 30 seconds uh, on DoorDash, whether to accept it or decline it. it. It shows you the pick, you know, it could say, like, Chili's Restaurant, 625 is what it says, and then it shows the miles from... Uh, where you are, you know, it kind of just figures the miles. And uh, and sometimes, you know, the tips can be hidden. And, uh, you know, it's a bit of a gamble. Like we, you know, like I was saying with Chili's here, sometimes, um, you know, I have a rule where my orders have to be $10 or more, you know, to make it worth my time. And that's even before gas prices. That way, okay, say like I only do 10 orders in a night. Well, then I made 100 bucks. Um, and that's just me. A lot of people, there's people out there that'll take every crumb order that comes with, but I figure if you keep, t- people keep taking those, people are going to think they don't have to do better. But, you know, like I was saying, sometimes the order comes up and it says it's 625. More often than not, the order is more than that. And it kind of has what, I don't know, we refer to them as hidden tips, where upon completion, your payout will be much more. For instance, I accepted one the other day, just because as I was ending, you know, I was like, oh, it's on my way home. Sure, I'll grab this from Chili's, and it's headed towards the house. And it was like six twenty-five. I was like, I'm sure it's at least ten bucks. 
So I did it, and bam, it was 16, you know, because there was a way better tip than I anticipated. But it's your choice to accept these orders and gamble. You know, some some nights there's way more lowball orders, you know, as I call them, than good ones. But um, so as a dasher, you kind of have the opportunity, you know, nine times out of ten to see what you're earning before you take the delivery. And it's the same thing with Instacart. Uh, you know, although customers can add or change a tip on Instacart, uh, sometimes they put in a percentage. So, like, if you substitute items and the prices are different, it may play with it. But it's, it's never much. Nine times out of ten on Instacart, I end up getting more because, uh, you know, you, do, you, you were really quick. Uh, it was, you know, they might have placed the order at 1 o'clock hoping to get it by 5 and you got it there by 2 uh, and so on and so forth. But, uh, you know, on both apps, you can do daily payouts. Um, you know, you just, or just have the, I just have the money deposited once a week. It's simple. It's easy. Like I said, I do it for extra cash. We've used it to pay off things like flooring, furniture. Um, you know, it's been an easy help in getting a brand new car. Uh, it's among other things. It's just, you know, paying down debt. You know, I looked at how all kinds, of, you know, and I think that plays the ease of this plays into the, some of the, the work shortage as well as like you can work for yourself and make good money. Like, you know, you, but then you, you got to hustle. You know, I don't know if I'd want to do this as my only job. I can't say, you know, like I said, I'll do a couple nights after work. And I'll turn it on and see if the orders are worth it. You know, I'm fortunate enough to be like, hey, I have a good job. pays me good money. And I don't feel like, like, last Friday night, yeah, last night, it wasn't super busy. So I did a couple orders, and we got out of work early because it was good Friday. And I was like, you know what? I'm tired. I'm going home. I don't want to do this. I was home by 8 o'clock, which is sometimes on Friday night, I don't get home till midnight. But anyways, lately there's been this, uh, a lot of articles that are, uh, and most recently there was one on the Today Show on their social me social media page talking about how low payout or low tip orders are not being picked up in a timely manner or picked up at all. Uh, and the articles kind of spiked this sparked this whole debate on how tipping should be done. And you have a lot of customers who think that this is just like a service elsewhere, that they believe the tipping should be after the service has been provided and base it on their satisfaction with the service. And I assure you, those are the same people whose food is in those pictures, in those articles, sitting at McDonald's or wherever, because they're probably shitty tippers. And they're the ones that are going to rate people low and be the neediest and have the most issues. But I'm going to be real with you. Here's how you need to look at it as a customer. If you're not rewarding the drivers, you're not rewarding the driver's service with your tip. You are simply competing with other customers ordering and trying to get the driver to pick your order so you will get it quickly. It's not about service. Sure, that's still very I promise when I do this, and this sounds terrible, no part of me is concerned about making a customer happy. I don't give a fuck. I look at the payout and like, bam, this is easy money. Bam. Where I want to get this food, drop it to you. And you know, you may have a hundred steps on how you want. I promise. I'm gonna set that food down quickest. I'm not gonna wait for you. I'm not like that's not how it works. And you know, and you may not like that. And uh, you know, you may think, well, you know, I should be able that that's just, the old school mentality, this do, it doesn't apply to this. Uh, you know, it's, 
the equation is the customers who will tip well. I would say a majority of those receive great service, especially in a small area like where I live. Like the three little cities, right? It's probably a combined 30,000 people and I don't know, whatever. It's like three little towns that I that I kind of operate between. They're all like six miles apart. You know, and our goal is, you know, and I'm sure this, this being a smaller area, we want to make sure that those people continue to order and reward their drivers. You know, and, and it's, like I said, it's a new philosophy, philosophy, but that's just how it is now. You can bring your old school thinking into it, but you're only hurting yourself. You know, and sure, there are drivers out there that will take these shitty lowball order, and it's unfortunate because then those customers keep putting them out there. But like you get on on your, you know, DoorDash gives you a a rating system of whatever to five. Mine is honestly four point nine nine. You get a completion percent, which you have to, means once you accept an order and don't cancel it. Like sometimes I'll accept an order, I get there, the fucking food's not ready, or I look and I'm like, oh, it's these shitty apartments that are paying the ass, fuck that, cancel it, not taking it, because we have the power to do so. It's not about you wanting your food, because fuck you, I just want to make money. Um, and then you have an acceptance rate, which they don't care about. Your completion rate has to stay above uh, 80%. Your rating can't be below four, and your on-time percentage can't be below like eighty. Is what my complete acceptance percent is like thirty-nine percent. It's been as low as seven percent. So at thirty-nine percent, it means I'm rejecting sixty-one percent of the orders that come to me, and I've done almost a thousand deliveries. So, you know, there's plenty of shit. You know, and some like I don't, I don't do McDonald's orders in the town where I live because the McDonald's is terrible and the drive through line is as long as like the unemployment line in Detroit or something. Um, I won't do Walmart pickup orders unless I've driven by there and can see it's really slow. For a while would not do Taco Bell because their line is really long. I mostly would do restaurants. Um, I would say half of my orders are Chili's because Chili's does Chili's. It's just wings and um, there's the Italian restaurant. Now, I want to say like Maggiano's, but I think it's it's something else. But, you know, the biggest thing for people to understand is, you know, you're tipping to say, hey, pick me. Not, um, you know, it, it's not about I'm going to reward you after the fact because you're not going to. If you didn't put the money there up front, you're not going to put it there later. And I think people struggle with how everything's evolving, you know, and they like to bitch and say it's entitlement. And it's not really, is it really entitlement for people who are too lazy to go get their food to bitch about how the people who deliver it are operating? Because it's not, you know. Um, if you order Dash and you're, you know, I'll tell you this right now, unless you live in a really big area where it's just busy, if it takes forever to get your food, you're probably a shitty tipper. And drivers are consistently declining your order. And they're like, fuck that, I'm not taking that. Or it's you're ordering from a shitty place that they don't want to go into. You know, but more often than not, it's the first one. You know, it's almost the same with employers right now, if you think about it. There, there is a worker shortage, you know, which gives the employee the upper hand. Um, you know, employers are having to pay employees more, and I'm okay with that. You know, let's not pretend that employers haven't been making off, making money off low wages for 
low wages on employees for years. During the pandemic, companies like Amazon, Walmart, Costco, Target, a lot of big box retailers all posted record profits. You know, well, now the rabbit has the gun and the people, employees are dictating their worth and demanding more from their employers. You know, and I'm getting, guessing what I'm saying right now is probably blasphemy to a lot of my fellow conservatives. But I'm going to throw one more blasphemous thing on there. Me, personally, I'd be okay with a four-day work week. And that doesn't mean four 10 hours, four 12 hours. There, there is no need to work your life away, honestly. I mean, the way costs and inflations are right now, the Democrats, we may have to just to eat. But in a normal world not run by idiot socialists, you know, think about this. A company will re- will replace you in a heartbeat if it meets their bu- if it meets their budget better. They will. You don't if to think otherwise is crazy. You know, and even I was thinking now. You know, with the talk of relocating and moving. Um, you know, what the job interview process is like now, and it's way different. You know, I like to think that I was way ahead of this curve when I left management years ago. I was tired of putting in hours and stressing myself out for a couple bucks for companies that make money regardless of my efforts. At the end of the day, I'm just a spoke in the wheel. The wheel keeps turning long after I'm dead. Um, You know, and honestly, my last year in management, I was sleepwalking. I did the bare minimum, if that. I collected big checks and realized, you know what? Enjoying my life is way more important to me than some title or advancing the corporate ladder. You know, and maybe, you know, I was fortunate enough to be able to make those decisions. But, uh, you know, I put a lot of years in and I was damn good uh, when I wanted to or when I had to be. But in time, I realized you can't put a price on being home for dinner every night or being there when your kid goes to bed and not missing family events. I mean, sure, some family events are great to miss, but you know what I mean. That's, um, it's a huge thing that I, like I said, I've been fortunate enough to do the past three years is really be present and participate in my life, you know, and I advocate for people to do so. I think about how blessed I am to be able to do so and that, you know, this is a huge consideration when we look at moving. I cannot say that I'm willing to to give up that control and participation I have in my life for money or opportunity. You know, I envision a way different Neil in the interview process now because I know what I want, you know, and I can't say I'm willing to take any less and I don't feel obligated to take any less. I don't feel when interviewing that the employer has a power over me. Um, you know, and I don't think that's entitlement. I think that's ownership. Um, I am the captain of my ship and I will decide when and where I sail and for who. So if you're an employer, you know, you have to have a willingness to adapt because things are changing, you know, and for everyone else, uh, you know, ask yourself, are you present enough in your life? You know, and and if you're not, why aren't you? And what are you getting for that time that you're not present? 
that's that's all I'm saying. I think it's something to think about. Um, you know, sometimes it involves an honest conversation with yourself and then maybe with your spouse, your family, and go from there. But I'm telling you, man, time's undefeated, and they're not making any more time. It is what it is. But um, that's all I got tonight. Uh, that's food for thought, y'all. Uh, happy Easter. I hope everyone has safe travels. Enjoy time with your family. Uh, did I ever tell you guys the, the I'm going to end with this little anecdote. So growing up, I never took my kid to uh, like public, you know, local park and rec Easter egg hunts. Mm -mm, no part of it. When I was a kid, uh, I, was I don't know if I've ever even told my parents this. They took me to one one time. And, you know, I was, did it, I was killing it, filling my bag with eggs. Well, some fucker took all my eggs, some bigger kid. And, you know, I just acted like I was too embarrassed to be like, oh, someone took my eggs. So I was like, this is stupid. I don't want to do this. So in the, at the risk of never putting my child in that environment, I never let her participate in that. She would do Easter egg hunts, you know. We'd do around the house and with, the, with uh, her mother's family and stuff like that. But yeah, just so you know, little funny story. Neil is very—it's a joke with people. Hey, Neil, want to go to an Easter egg hunt? And I'm like, hey, hey. but no, Easter egg hunts are bad. Um, but seriously, everyone have a safe Easter. Thank you for listening. Um, you know, remember what Easter's all about. Uh, that being said, go Bucks in the playoffs and um, have a great week. I'll talk to you all next week. Later.